Welcome to Sasquatch Island. My name is Tom Seawood. I'll be your host and Indian guide, trying to share with you a little bit more information from my First Nations or North American Indian perspectives, beliefs, and even from my personal encounters with Sasquatch. So the podcast I'm going to do today is, where are the Sasquatch remains? An interesting question that I've seen one of the Facebook groups on Sasquatch here in the last couple of days. And they were asking exactly that. You know, why aren't we finding any remains of Sasquatch? So when I was looking at it and reading the different comments to that uh, question, I seen my teammate, Shane Corson, from the Olympic Project. And he answered. And what he stated was, where are the remains of cougar and bear in the Pacific Northwest? Traveling out in the bush for a lifetime, I too very rarely have ever come across the remains of cougar or bear, especially grizzly bear. They're pretty hard to find. And the main reason, of course, from what I hear is uh, the rodents, they like to eat the bones, like the antlers of deer and so forth. Apparently they eat some of the bones. The leaves falling down and uh, other debris from the forest covers things up pretty quickly in the Pacific Northwest. But instead of just speaking about our region, I reached out to my fellow investigator and very good friend from the Omaha tribe in Macy, Nebraska, on the Omaha Indian Reservation, Lucas White. Lucas, as some of you that follow my podcast series, Sasquatch Islands, know that he's, you know, pretty dialed into what they call Sitonga on the Omaha Indian Reserve, their Sasquatch. And he spent years out in the forest and which is hardwoods out there. And I spoke to him about it, you know, about the remains of their Sitonga and a few years ago. And I phoned him today before I started to record this podcast here, January 14th, 2021, and just got him to refresh my memory. And of course, it was the same thing that he spoke about. And that in his area, he suspects from, you know, different things he's seen out in the bush you know that he knows they dig tunnels and into the the hillside and that's where they winter he says because it's you know pretty cold in Nebraska and I asked him you know do they hibernate and he goes mm, I kind of don't think so I think it's more they've brought in things like corn and soybeans and other things and that's what they feed upon and then they go out as well to hunters and go harvest he goes, but what I'm thinking is they go into these abandoned or structures like the cave structures that they've built, tunnels, and that's where they put their dead and they collapse them. And he says that because he's come across collapsed tunnels where there's signs there that something had definitely made it so that the roof caved in, the entranceway caved in. And being the investigator today, I asked him a key question. What about if they did that? Isn't there the possibility of erosion from the flood of the Missouri River, its tributaries, and it scarring the bank and causing cave-in and sloughing, and all of a sudden you would have bones being exposed? And he goes, no, I don't find them down in the lowlands where the floods are. He goes, you'll find them up in the elevated areas, far afield from where any humans are. And that's where you'll find, he's found a little bit of evidence of where it looks like one of these tunnel areas, you know. And he says they're not that deep. You probably go in about 
50, 60 feet at the most. But you can see where it had been, and what he suspects, deliberately caved in. And he suspects that that's this burial place of a Sitonga, a Sasquatch in his area. Very interesting information, something to definitely think about. And of course, if it's in the hillside some 40 feet or more, you can just imagine how many centuries of those bones being covered are. He brought up another subject I told Lucas. I said, what about if there was the chance of a slide, a hillside caving in or erosion from the rains? And I said, I've been in Omaha when they had one of your torrential downpours. I was in Omaha City and Pioneer Square, I think it was, or something. But I remember that the rain came down so heavy that it was just rushing off the tin roofs along the top of the sidewalks. And the road turned into a river. And then the wind hit and the rain was sideways. And I had to go into Omaha Prime and go have myself a prime rib meal because it was so wet outside. And I said, your rains down there can be torrential. There must be the possibility of the bones being exposed. And he said, yes, they would just dig them up and rebury them somewhere else. And of course, with Lucas, you have to be careful with them because he does have a lot of experience with the Sitonga. And I said, did you ever witness that? And he goes, no. So Lucas, as he told me, Years ago, when I met with them, actually, it was, wasn't that long ago, maybe four years ago. They have laws, Tom, very strict laws. And then he went into things, and he ended it by saying, the Sitonga has laws, Tom, very strict laws. So I don't want to push Lucas too far, you know, because it's all about respect to the Sasquatch, Sitonga, or what other name that the other tribe has in your region, and especially to the North American Indians. It's all about that respect. So that's where I'll leave it with that. In my region, though, Vancouver Island, years ago, I remember sitting around the dock and all of a sudden people were BSing away and talking, telling stories. And someone started talking about the story. And I was just a young kid. I remember back then I had thick black glasses, hair like uh, Gene Simmons off uh, Kiss, like Helmet Head, I call it. And I was just a young pup. And I remember that story about how they said that the loggers were working on an island just east of here. And they found a cave, the fallers. And when they were poking around trying to get into this cave, sticks and rocks and tree snaps, all kinds of aggressive action from something and a bad stink came about. And the loggers got out of there. And I would suspect because they knew darn well what it was that was getting hostile Sasquatch and anyway the loggers told their foreman the foreman went up I guess and poked around and they too had hostility and they got the hell out of there but they went to the native community and they asked the First Nations hunters you know what was possibly happening up there because they did see the entrance to a cave and they said it's more than likely the burial ground of Chonokwa the our Sasquatch and they, of course, they don't want you anywhere near there. Just like we natives, don't you want you logging anywhere near any of our burial sites? Because traditional burial of the most Pacific Northwest coastal First Nations in Canada and North American Indians down in Washington State, when you read the historical accounts, 
from the explorers, anthropologists, archaeologists. The way we Kwakwaka'wakw walk traditionally laid our people to rest was if you were a very high-ranked individual, like a chieftain or a noblewoman, they would build a miniature house structure out on an island in front of the village or in close proximity. They would put your some of your possessions in there for the afterlife, and that's where you would be laid to rest, laying down in a little house. Back in the late 1980s, early 1990s, when I was out in my traditional territories as a native watchman guardian, it was my job out there that I was tasked by the chief and council to protect these burial sites from anyone exploring or poking around, desecrating the graves, or even camping on those little islets with their sea kayaks. So we educated the people that these islets in front of our village and these other islets are out of bounds. They created in 1991 the Broughton Archipelago Marine and Land Park, a provincial park, both land and water. And we worked with the park wardens and we had a couple places posted with signs that this was the traditional burial site of the Bamliaka Kwekosunok First Nation and there's absolutely no entry. Now, I know some of you are listening to this and they're going to say, hey, I remember reading those attacks on Tom about him desecrating burial grounds. Well, it was a fake news story that's still out there on the internet. I own it. You know, I made a mistake. I brought a Russian photographer into the burial site for one purpose, to get me half a dozen photographs of the burial boxes and the debris that we were finding on the ground, cigarette wrappers, cigarette butts, even pop cans from the sports fishing resort that had a trail leading to our burial grounds. I wanted pictures of those bentwood cedar boxes and the human remains inside because one of the skulls were missing. And every year as watchmen, we'd go in there and do an inventory and clean up the garbage that was left in there from those sports fishermen. Well, that those half a dozen pictures were to be used for a year-end report in the fall for my chief and council about the problems that were happening at our traditional burial site with a sign within the park and all of this debris and stuff. Disrespect to our ancestors' burial site. Well, that woman, she gave me the pictures, which I was going to compile for the report, but she foolishly went and ego, I guess, posted on her blog on the internet about her adventures up in the Broughton Archipelago. And if she stupidly went and posted a picture of me in that burial ground that she wasn't supposed to. Instead of my tribe members and others phoning me and saying, hey, Tom, what happened? What's this all about? I would have looked at it. I would have phoned that woman and demanded she remove it, and it would have been gone forever. But no, my tribe members and other people that don't like my opinion in regards to ecotourism and the fish farming industry at the time, they chose to use it as a chink in my armor and attack me. So they went on a, I guess you can say, let's run him out of town on a rail, let's tar and feather him, let's burn him at the stake, let's put him against the rock wall and shoot him. That's the campaign that my fellow tribe members, and some of them, even my family, attacked me. They would call me a grave robber. They would say that I was taking paying clients into the burial grounds. Far from the truth, like I would ever do that. That is so unethical and just so disrespectful. I would never do it, and I never did it. But that Canadian Broadcasting Canada, CBC, news insert is still out there. 
And from time to time, especially if I get into a Facebook debate on something like, say, uh, the woo-woo side of uh, Sasquatch that I don't agree upon, and the person's getting their butt whooped by me in debate, well, they'll pull out that link to that news posting on the internet and post it up there and go, what about you? And rub it in my face. So as I said, I own it. Yes, I made a mistake. But let's use what my tribe did to me in regards to disrespecting, supposedly disrespecting a burial site of our people. They came at me tooth and nail. They tore me. They tried everything. I had to put someone's nose in the back of his head. Another guy I had to do some dental work to his two front teeth. And another guy, I, I won't say what I did to him, but he'll always be reminded of Tom Seawood every time he does number two and he's got to reach behind and clean himself up. I hurt him. That's, I'm a bushman, you know, and he was attacking me, so I counterattacked. And if you're going to go to battle, make sure you win the war. And that's where I'll leave that. But let's look at that. The attack, the hostility. That's the same with Sasquatch, the other tribe. So on that island I was telling you about where they actually, I guess, called in the hunters to go check that area out, which they did because they want the number one to make sure that, you know, the loggers didn't go near there. But when they, apparently when they got up to that high place on that hill on that island, the cave was entrance was no longer there. It was covered by boulders, by dead tree trunks that were broken and piled up and more debris. Basically, they plugged it and sealed it so no human could go disrespect their ancestors that were laid to rest in that cave. And what happened was the loggers were told, don't you dare go up there, you leave it alone. Now, this was back in the era of the mid-1900s when the loggers would start at the saltwater sea level and they would work their way up with their fallers and their machine and they would go up a mountain, around a mountain, over top of the mountain to the following side of the island and they would remove basically 100% of the trees. And when I used to be the watchman in my traditional territories and I had my little cabin trailer out in the bush there, I would come out and I would sit outside and I'd be just looking at the expanse of beautiful, supernatural British Columbia, my traditional homelands. And I would see that island and I would see the second growth forest all over on the low to high ground. But the one pinnacle area was covered in old growth forest. A lot of places are still like that in British Columbia because we have the Forest Practices Code since 1986 that ensures that you don't, loggers can't just start at the water, go up the hillside, over the top of the mountain and down, knocking every tree in their path. They have to have what they call cut blocks now, small little zones, areas that are riparian sensitive, meaning they might be a swamp or a bog or a stream or a creek or a lake or an area with culturally modified trees, giant cedar trees that are 600 to 1,000 years old that have scars that are healed from when they peeled bark off there, my ancestors. Those are protected. Well, back in the day, they used to log everything except for that one island from that era. The top of it is old growth, and it was only protected because they ran across a Sasquatch cave. 
Now, I've shared in Sasquatch Island my podcasts about other stories, especially down around the Nanaimo area where a native Indian hunter went out, broke his leg, had his rifle, and a Sasquatch came out, howlopus in their language, and picked him up and was carrying him back towards civilization, but they stopped, and that Sasquatch put him down, rolled the big rock aside, and from behind another big boulder, so we can imagine it's against a hillside that's steep with rockfall, it grabbed three-strand cedar rope, lowered it into this exposed hole where it removed this big boulder, tied it to a tree, grabbed that man, put him on his over his shoulder so he was hanging on, and that Sasquatch lowered himself down hand over hand into that opening in the on the stone floor of the forest and stopped. And as they were spinning around, that man mentioned that he saw what looked like cocoons of cedar wisps, which are the branches of the cedar, which are kind of flexible like vines and cedar bark woven. And inside these cocoons that were roughly crudely wrapped and made were fetal position, semi-mummified remains of his ancestors, Sasquatches. The Sasquatch climbed back up, put him down, coiled the rope up behind a rock, covered it with a bunch of salal bushes and other branches, pushed the big boulder back in place and plugged the entryway into that catacomb. Vancouver Island is the highest concentration of limestone karst on earth, which is like Swiss cheese, our entire two-thirds of our island, and even the mainland coast. And I have stories from the mainland coast about the limestone karst where people went down into a cave and they found the remains of giant humans. And they got out of there right away. They weren't aggressively attacked or anything. I guess there was no Sasquatch around. But they stated how they saw, and they only went a little distance into that catacomb, limestone karst cave, and they said they saw well over 30 remains. Now, I know where that place is. That individual showed me on the map. Well, one thing that's very fortunate about that part of the mainland of British Columbia's south-central coast region is it's totally uninhabited by any humans. And there's no log in there because the forest is really a, like a scrub forest and it's not uh, viable for the logging companies to be there. And a lot of the area now is protected as what they call fjord lands. So fortunately, that burial site will be left forever. No one will go poke around, especially me. So when people ask about where are the Sasquatch remains, well, they're burying their dead. They're the other tribe. And if you look into the history of the Kwakwakiwak people and other Pacific Northwest coastal tribes from the mouth of the Columbia River right up into Anchorage area of Alaska, you will find in the history books that the traditional burial of the coastal peoples is pretty much indicative all over. Little houses on islets in front of villages, platforms and trees. But one of the ones that's very intriguing in my territories is they would put the deceased family member in an, under an overhang in the forest and they would just lay them there in their cedar bark mat blankets their fur robes and as the forest debris rains down be it needles from the evergreen trees or the twigs and branches or deadfall 
that eventually the salal leaves and alder leaves keep coming down, forest duff, I think it's called. But that accumulation, and as a watchman, I used to go to those burial sites doing inventories and making sure no one was poking around, taking anything, because God forbid we've had enough of that through the last couple decades, or century and a half or more. <coughs> Excuse me. But you would notice that the forest was taking care of those ones that were laid to rest. It was burying them. And eventually those overhang and those little crevices and cracks were totally covered. So I can't share any pictures like that because on MonsterXRadio.com, on the website, we put pictures up pertaining to the podcast we're doing. Well, this podcast, Where Are the Sasquatch Remains, I'm not going to use any human remains. Why? Because I got my butt kicked by doing that before. I'm surely not going to repeat that mistake. So I will put some pictures of limestone car structure and me on northern Vancouver Island. Now, these were limestone car structures where there was no bone remains of human or anything else. It's actually a park where we went on northern Vancouver Island. So please, no one attack me. I'm not doing anything wrong. And it'll give you an idea, though. And if you do look into Vancouver Island's car structures on the north part, you now know where the Sasquatches are, deep within those catacombs. Now, I have more stories I could share with you, but I see I'm getting up to my time limit here for the podcast. But there's so many reports about Sasquatches in the Pacific Northwest laying their rest into caves and covering them up. There's one area on Vancouver Island that we call it the Valley of the Falls. It's a place we used to drive in when we were in our early 20s and go trout fishing and hunting grouse and deer. Back then, I didn't investigate Sasquatch at all. But I remember driving through the logging road, and you'd go around these, in between these two mountains with a river that the logging road parallels. But you'd have the logging road, they meandered it through these massive boulders that had rolled down from the mountains. Some of them bigger than a three-story house. A lot of them, of course, the size of a vehicle or a semi-trailer. Some of them the size of a small compact car. But it was just recently that I had a report from someone who was up there. His grandfather was up there back in the 1940s, and he was prospecting. And it was the same area, but back then there was no logging activity, no logging roads. His grandfather was sitting on one of these rocks, just looking around, and he was having something to eat. And he witnessed Sasquatches roll a boulder that... He said was about 12 feet in diameter and it took three or four of them to push it aside and underneath there was like a crevice or a crack that they one jumped into and they passed down and he could tell it was a dead Sasquatch and they got out and stood around for quite some time who knows what they were doing you got to remember Lucas White says they have language they have culture and they have laws Tom very strict laws but his grandfather apparently witnessed the Sasquatches push that big boulder over that hole in the ground where they put the remains of one of their own family clan members. So I think that answers for the Pacific Northwest and possibly for the area around uh, central United States where Omaha Indian Reserve is and other places like that, that we now have a little bit better understanding from indigenous people's views and stories as well as from my experience 
And if I ever do find the possible area that's a burial site of, whether it be human or humans of the other tribe, the Sasquatch, which we call Junakwa, no bloody way. There's not enough money that would ever entice me to bring anyone there, nor would I take any photographs or share it. Because we have to respect, as we do with all of our deceased, respect where they're laid to rest. And I hope you out there will follow suit. And if you know of places where they're possibly buried, don't let your ego or greed get the better of you. And you have to come out and you have to identify it. And you have to phone those investigators up and those doctors that are in our field of Sasquatchology to study and confirm that you're the first one to bring the conclusive proof of the existence of Sasquatch. No, that's not how it's going to be done. It's better we leave it be. If a landslide or erosion happens or they're building a road somewhere and some bones are exposed, possibly. But I can't say it's not my place because personally, I will always respect the places where anyone, our people or members of the other tribe are laid to rest. I thank you very much. Thank you very much for listening to this episode of Sasquatch Island. Don't forget to hit the share button on the Facebook posts on Sasquatch Island and Monster X Radio. Go to YouTube. Check out our videos that we have on Monster X Radio and Sasquatch Island. You can subscribe to both. Don't forget to slap that subscribe button like a rogue Sasquatch slaps a disrespectful human upside the head so that you'll be a member of us. That's why we went to the free service, because we are now sharing podcasts, video casts. Apparently, I'm supposed to help start writing a blog here pretty soon. But it's all about sharing that information with you, and you don't have to pay. And, you know, we're going to get more into the videos and different things. I just had a GoPro show up, number seven, that Peggy and I ordered. We have a camcorder night vision with uh, recording capabilities coming by Amazon pretty quick, as well as numerous other things to bring you out in the field and share with you what we're doing in regards to investigating Sasquatch and interacting with other people that are enthusiasts or investigators. And that's what it's all about, sharing but being respectful about the subject that we all are passionate about, Sasquatches. And as I always say, be very safe out there in your investigations. I thank you very much in the language of my people. Halakulisla. Go in peace.